a number of weeks now, starting out when God had had first promised to Abraham a promise of a people and a land. And we've seen the fulfillment of, of the people as God increased Abraham's family through nearly half a millennia now as we've been tracking with them. And we saw how that family was released from slavery under the Egyptian rule and in doing so birthed them into a nation. And so the part of the promise has been fulfilled. But the land part has not yet become a reality. They're still squatters. Following that pillar of cloud by day, that pillar of fire by night, picking up and moving on as God has directed them, they have no parcel yet to call their own where we're at in the scriptures. So as we continue our series this morning, we've titled the message, The Promised Land. And God has positioned the people where we're picking up the text on the border of the land of the fulfillment. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. And we're also going to have it up on the screen. Um, but we're going to jump right into the text this morning. And I'm going to be starting with verse 1. So as you turn there, um, I'm just going to take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we know that it does not return void, but it goes forth and accomplishes the purposes that you intend it to. And so, Lord, we just thank you ahead of time, knowing that you are a faithful God and you do as you say you will. And so, Lord, we have expectation that we're going to take something away from the text this morning to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, starting with verse 1 in chapter 13. Says the Lord now said to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the twelve ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out twelve men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from the camp in the wilderness of Paran. Now I think it's important to point out right off the bat here that it kind of seems like it's the Lord that had sent the people out kind of set into motion this scouting expedition for the nation. When in reality, if you look at all of scripture, you'll see in the first chapter of Deuteronomy, it was the people who said, we want to go check out the land. And Moses, as their leader, mistakenly thought, well, this will be a really good idea. We should do this. And so they brought it to the Lord. And, and so the Lord basically said, go ahead, send them out. Hindsight's going to indicate that that really wasn't the best thing to do. Have you ever noticed that sometimes God gives us freedom to do things that are not always going to produce the best results initially? But because of his faithfulness, he's going to bring something good from it anyway. He uses those to teach us lessons in our lives. This will definitely be one of those times. As the Lord said, go ahead, give the people what they want, send them out. We're going to jump ahead to verse 17 in the 13th chapter. For God's word says, Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country, see what the land is like, and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, 
few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. It happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes. Now, this seems wise at face value. I mean, think about it. You're going to go take up residence somewhere else. You don't want to move in sight unseen. Gosh, I mean, it would be like purchasing a house online where all you've got to go by are the pictures that the real estate company puts up on the screen, giving the highlights, of course, of, of the dwelling place that you're looking at. And you're going to only have their description and the images that possibly have been manipulated to make spaces look larger than they are. It's a not-so-honest trick of the trade that my baby sister, who is in real estate, she pointed out to uh, my son Jason as he and his wife were looking at a new place and and she said oh and by the way the place that is at such and such address um, that kitchen that they show there really isn't as big as it seems they've stretched the photo to make it look different that's terrible now not all real estate agents out there are dishonest, of course. You know, and, and quite frankly, I, I've never actually purchased a home. Um, my parents graciously gave us our property and, and our home, and so I've never done that for myself. But I did tag along with Jason and Kai as they were looking and tracked online quite a bit with them as they'd show me, send different links and stuff. But I do remember one time a, a gal telling me that her and her husband were out looking um, at, at homes, you know, what they wanted to purchase for them and their family. And, and she was telling me that they went and they looked at this one house that they were really seriously interested in. And she just, she said to the real estate agent, she said, you know, I'm really thirsty. Is it okay if I just have a little drink of water? Well, she really wasn't all that thirsty. She just wanted to know what kind of water does this well have? Because that was high on her list. She wanted good, pure water. And I think, you know what? Human nature would say this is a wise thing to do. Check this out. Where are we going to be living? Certainly practical. But in Israel's case, the land had already been checked out. And this information was not provided by scum, some sketchy real estate company wanting to paint a, a beautiful picture with strategically selected language and photos to make a sale. The nation had been given information about this land by a good and holy God. The nation of Israel was given a description of the land when God made the promise. If we look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 17, and this is the Lord speaking, this is what he said. I have promised to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jezubites now live. They could have taken God for his word. They could have trusted him sight unseen, yet they felt they needed to go and check it out themselves. And so God told Moses, send them out. And so off they went, one leader 
from each of the tribes of Israel, headed out on a 40-day, and they say somewhere between a 350 to 500-mile fact-finding mission. When they returned, they gave their report and presented their samples, not just to Moses and Aaron, the two leaders, but to everyone. And so picking it back up with verse 25 of the 13th chapter, God's word says, After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of produce it produces. The land was fertile, well-suited for crops and raising livestock. It was lush. There was an abundance of figs and pomegranates and grapes. In fact, the grapes were so big, they had only cut one cluster, Scripture tells us, and it took two men and a pole with the grapes draped across the pole to carry it back to where they were camped. The produce was phenomenal. It was everything God had promised. But there was more to the scout's report. Continuing with verse 28, we read this. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negevs, and the Hittites, Jezebites, Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. Just like that, the good report turns to a bad one. And you can probably picture the people's reaction to it, their expectant faces, now suddenly all downcast. How can this be? The land was good, perfect even, but there are giants in the way. But there was another voice. Numbers 13.30 says, But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. You can be assured that all eyes turned in Caleb's direction. Our grandson Jack loves to use Papa Pat's binoculars. He goes to our big windows. Some of you have been in our living room and you know the big windows on the end. They start about four inches off of the floor and go up to feet, at least that one pane. And Jack can look out and he can see the garden and the yard and the hay field beyond that and then the pasture and tree line even further out. And so he's got this big panoramic view. And so he loves to take the binoculars and scan the horizon. It's only that Jack's view looks different than what you might think. Because Jack insists that you should turn the binoculars around. <laughs> and so everything looks much more distant and much smaller than even it should with the binoculars. And I tried to get him to turn them around the other day and absolutely would have nothing to do with it. And who knows that you just don't argue with a three-year-old around about that. 
there's just bigger fish that you need to worry about. And so you just, you, you just don't go there. But maybe that's kind of how spies, the ten spies were kind of whispering to each other when Caleb made this announcement, elbowing each other with that knowing nod. Caleb must be looking through the wrong end. That's why he can, thinks we can conquer these giants. Now, obviously, there would not have been binoculars back then, but all eyes were sure to be on Caleb. And the ten were not afraid to respond. Verse 31. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. How is it that out of 12 scouts, you end up getting two very different reports? I'd like to suggest that it has to do with what we see with and what we listen to. What do I mean by that? Well, the ten spies, they looked at the facts. Yes, the land was good. There were also people living there. The cities were fortified. And they were certainly right. In fact, archaeological digs have found that some fortified cities had walls that were 20 feet thick. And the people, they were stronger. And they were really big. In fact, they were huge, giants to be exact. In relationship to them, the men said, we feel like grasshoppers. Interestingly, they also added that the people thought that they were like grasshoppers and that anyone that went to live there would get devoured. Now, I'm sure you've experienced it like Pat and I have where you have the grandkids come over and they occasionally spend the night with you. At least that's what we do with Jack and Hudson. They like to have the room lit at night. They want to make sure at least one light is on in the room. And because it's amazing what a shirt draped over a chair can become in the dark. Okay? You know, it could be a bear, it could be a lion, it could be a, a monster or a ghost. You know, you just you don't know. And so you got to leave the light on for sure. Because otherwise the kids, they start processing out of fear and things get bigger and scary and it just doesn't really go all that well. And so you leave the light on. Well, the scouts were viewing the facts all right, but they failed to shine the light of truth on what they had seen. And since they focused on the facts only, the facts became obstacles that could not be overcome. So large that they couldn't see the God who had redeemed them from slavery and brought them in to where they were poised now at the promised land border. They could only see the obstacles. And when we focus on the obstacles, we miss how big our God is. We can get sucked in to unbelief. You see, for the ten spies, what they saw shaped what they believed. What they saw shaped what they believed. They just saw the facts, not 
the real truth. They were viewing things with eyes of doubt. They missed bringing the facts out into the light of God's truth. I love what the author of our companion book has to say about facts and truth. He writes this, Truth is not merely facts. These men reported facts. The land was good. The inhabitants were large. The cities were fortified. All those are facts. But the factual information is only part of the truth. Neither is truth popular opinion. In fact, it's often in the absence of an understanding of real truth that opinion polls take on weight and authority they do not deserve. Now I'll interject that that's a nice little gold nugget to keep in mind when we listen to the media. The author continues, neither is real truth what is doable. Real truth is not our perception. Real truth is higher and deeper and broader than any of that. Real truth is what God says about a particular situation. Real truth corresponds to reality from God's perspective. Only he sees the whole thing, and only he is in a position to make a judgment about it. The ten spies saw only the facts, which turned into insurmountable obstacles, which then resulted in unbelief. Unbelief that the land that was promised to them could really be theirs. What they saw shaped what they believed. But for the other two spies, what they believed shaped what they saw. Caleb and Joshua looked at the land with eyes of faith. What they believed shaped what they saw. Numbers chapter 14, starting with verse 6, says this. Two of the men had explored, who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. Obviously that was a sign of, of great sorrow then. And this was in response to what the spies had said. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. And don't be afraid of the people in the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection but the Lord, us, don't be afraid of them. See, what Joshua and Caleb believed allowed them to see real truth as they looked with eyes of faith. Sure, the land was inhabited. Yes, the cities were fortified. The people were bigger and stronger. It would have been impossible on their own. But the Lord had promised. And Joshua and Caleb believed the word of the Lord. What they believed shaped what they saw. And this was possible because the Lord had said he would do it. And they listened to the word of the Lord. See, when we trust God at his word, it doesn't remove all fear, though, but our fears will be overcome. 
it didn't matter if there were people living there. God had told them many years ago that there would be. Yes, the people were really big, but Joshua and Caleb had eyes of faith, and that showed them that God is big. Joshua and Caleb chose to believe God for the promise because they chose to not just look at the facts. They saw the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's hand on this situation. They saw real truth through eyes of faith. They didn't operate out of unbelief or a spirit of fear. In relation to the ten unbelieving spies, God said this of Caleb in Numbers chapter 14, verse 24. And I'm going to read this from the message. It says, but my servant Caleb, this is a different story. He has a different spirit. He follows me passionately. I'll give him or I'll bring him into the land that he scouted, and his children will inherit it. Caleb believed the word of the Lord. He trusted God at his word. Did it take courage? Yes. Going against popular opinion is never easy. Stepping out in faith can be uncomfortable. It can even, yes, be scary. Turning back to our companion book once more. We read, faith is not the absence of fear as much as it is the unwillingness to allow fear to keep us from obeying God's clear command. Of course, God isn't asking us to take a blind leap of faith. He's given us an overwhelming number of reasons why trusting him makes good sense. He's got an amazing track record of faithfulness and promise keeping. But he's not going to force you into something. He didn't force the people to take the land. They said they'd rather die in the wilderness. So he let them have what they said they wanted. If you want to miss your real purpose, your true calling, if you would rather die in safety than live the adventurous life your heart really longs for, he will let you do that. But Can you think of anything sadder than a person wandering aimlessly for years and years, just passing the time, waiting to die? For when we limit what God has or can do, when we limit what God can do through our unbelief, through our fear, through our disobedience, two things happen. First, we miss out on the promise. Those who did not believe never entered the promised land. Some died immediately. Some lived a little longer, wandering for all of those years, some of them even 40 years. They missed out on the glorious promise. The second thing that can happen when we limit what God can do because of our unbelief, fear, and disobedience is we rob God of the glory. A.W. Tozer said, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things we can do by ourselves. When God accomplishes things in our lives and through us, things that we do not have the intellect or the ability to accomplish, 
we can't take the credit for it. All glory goes to God. Now when Pat and I had finished up school in the cities and knew that there was the next step to take, we started talking about, you know, what, where, what, are, what are things going to look like? And, and we had decided if one of three things happened, we would move back up north. One, that Pat would get a full-time job here that would be able to support us. Two, our mortgage would be paid for. Or three, I would be called back for ministry. And it was number three out of the three that happened. And so with $25 a week as our income, with a mortgage to pay, and Pat with no job, we moved back from the cities. All glory to God that he made it possible. But he had said that he would do it. That if we would walk in obedience, that he would be with us. When God asks us to step out, to move, you might ask, well, how do we know that it's God leading us? How do we know that it's him speaking to us? And while we don't have a pillar of cloud by day and we don't have that pillar of fire by night signifying God's presence, we who have placed our trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, leading us and counseling us and guiding us. And we learn his voice as we spend time in prayer. And as we spend time in his word, the Bible, we understand how he speaks to us. And I believe when we earnestly desire to be obedient and follow his will, no matter how difficult or awkward it may seem, I believe we will hear his voice. And we will know that it is the Lord directing us to the power of the Holy Spirit. If we earnestly desire to be obedient and follow his will. Yes, we should look at the facts of our situation. We should count the cost, yes. We should use intelligence and common sense that God has given us. I say, please use intelligence and common sense, but don't depend solely on it. We also need to couple it with what God says. That's facts. What God says is truth. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 give us a wonderful explanation of this. When God says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. He's not saying neglect your understanding. He just says, don't depend on it. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. It's been said this kind of trust requires a certain amount of courage. It hangs everything on an invincible or an invisible God. It does not hedge its bets, but believes that God, as he is revealed in his word, will act towards us as we have been told he will. But in the end, it is the safest trust there is. God has never failed anyone who has invested all hopes in him.
Proverbs 40, verse 4 says, How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust. Let's be people that will invest all hope in him. That will trust him for what he says he will do. That will believe that he is the God of the impossible. To believe God for all the things that he puts in our hearts. Things bigger than we can do by ourselves. To step out in faith so that God can receive the glory. Now I don't know everything that's going on in your lives. What your circumstances are. What obstacles might seem to be looming very large for you. It might be a physical situation. It might be a relational situation. It might be a financial one. Whatever your circumstances might be, God is bigger. God is bigger than anything. And so this morning, we want to give you opportunity to spend some time with God, looking to him with eyes of faith, to give you opportunity for God to to help you look beyond the facts of your situation and to see real truth. Believe God for the impossible. And so we're going to take a few moments before we close in prayer this morning and we're going to just invite you to come to the altar. If, If you're wanting to see your situation, your circumstances with greater eyes of faith, We just encourage you to come. We're also going to have two prayer teams here this morning, one on each side here. And if maybe you're thinking, you know, I'm just not sure how to do this. I need somebody to come alongside. That's what we want to do this morning. We are privileged to be able to pray with you for whatever your circumstances may be. We want to help you to uh, take that next step of faith to demonstrate a boldness based on on God's promise and character, not just the facts. You see, when we'll add God's promises and character to the facts, that's when we get real truth. Real truth to see who God really is, that he is a God of the impossible. And so, again, we just encourage you to come. We're going to have some music on. If you want to stay seated and spend some time with God right where you're at, that's okay too. But the Holy Spirit is probably prompting some of you to step out of your comfort zone, to come forward, to just seek God. There is, I I can't explain it, but there are powerful things when we will, to respond to the Holy Spirit, when we'll just get out of our seat and come forward. And so we want to give you opportunity to, uh, to take advantage of that, to spend some time with God. And so Anne and Vicki, I'll have you come forward and, And Tanner, you can go ahead and put that song on. But I just encourage you, if if there's something that's on your heart today, that you're saying, God's God's tugging at my heart. He wants me to step out in faith. I just encourage you to come forward. Deep within my heart 
Your promises remain. 